0: Hello and welcome to the Ask Girl podcast where I answer any questions that you might have during the week and I'm especially excited to speak to Pippa Cousins today but before we do let me introduce the Revised Ice Clinic. So the Revised Ice Clinic is a multidisciplinary clinic which has helped over 8,000 people become mentally well physically fit and pain-free and I have here today Pippa Cousins who I'm delighted to speak with. Pippa is an osteopath and a chronic pain specialist with lived experiences of chronic pain and Pippa is motivated to share her expertise and lived experience with her patients who are also experiencing chronic pain and just to show that recovery is possible I think this is absolutely amazing Pippa is going to be climbing the three tallest peaks in the UK the three tallest mountains in the UK just to show that recovery is possible and if you would like to get in touch with Pippa after this podcast then you can contact her by her clinic which is called Osteopath Osteopathy for All and it's located in East Sussex. How are you doing today Pippa?
1: I'm good thank you very much.
0: Good to hear. So I just wanted uh, to if, if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners please.
1: Yeah, I'm, I've been an osteopath now. Um, I graduated in 94. Um, I want, always wanted to be an osteopath. I was 12. I fell off a climbing frame and I hurt my leg and my mum took me to an osteopath. And I decided very early on that that's what I wanted to do. And I was lucky to, enough to be able to achieve it. And I still love it every single day. And um, I think my sort of where my practice changed slightly was when actually I was diagnosed with um, fibromyalgia. And so that was when the sort of the chronic pain side of things kind of more came into the picture.
0: And could you tell us a bit more about your journey with chronic pain?
1: Yeah, so my, um, I, I think funny enough, actually when I often I talk about my story, my story started with fatigue, not pain. The fatigue came first. Um, I, uh, I then the pain came a little bit later and it was at a quite a reasonably stressful time of my life. And I had saw all the, you know, I'd seen the doctors and I'd been diagnosed with a vitamin D deficiency and then I had an MRI and I was diagnosed with degenerative discs and, and eventually, um, eventually I got referred to the, uh, rheumatologist and we then, um, came up with a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and, it was kind of as I left that appointment I said well I I do plan to get better and he then said well then you probably will and so my journey then took a turn when I discovered uh, an organization called SERPA the Stress Illness Recovery Practitioners Association and I went to their conference in 2017 and it was called chronic pain Um, the role of emotions and I'd always been a little bit upset that people might have been inferring that this was in my head but actually in that conference, in that room, there were doctors, medics, all sorts of professionals who'd come in from all over the world to speak, and it was like they got it. It was like they understood it, they had the evidence to back it, they had a reason why it was happening, and they had a way forward, and it was just, it was like a light bulb moment, and in fact, interesting enough, I had a pain-free day the next day, which sometimes happens when you have these sort of revelations. Anyway, I then tried to follow the um the program sort of by myself and with um georgie oldfield's book uh, chronic pain your key to recovery and actually i didn't quite manage that so i then went to see a surfer practitioner myself and that was the beginning really of my pain recovery so i was probably in pain for pretty constantly for five six years and uh, you know, in the midst of it, you you never think you're going to get out of it. You never think there's anything that you can do. And then, as I say, this this light bulb moment where you suddenly think, "Hang on a minute, there's a, there's an answer to this." So I use the SERP approach myself to to recover. I would never say that I'm 100% recovered because life happens, and there's such a big influence between stress um, and emotions and pain. You know, unless you were living kind of in a in a bubble in kind of cloud cookie land, I think you know you're never going to kind of necessarily be 100. But I would consider myself to be 98 percent of the time I'm, I'm fairly pain free, and I then went on to train as a surfer practitioner myself, and now I integrate the surfer approach, the experience that I had, and um and the techniques and tools and approaches that I use to get myself better with my patients in clinic.
0: Amazing. I'm just. From what you've just said, I've just got a few questions. I'd like just to dig <clears throat> a bit deeper. Now, I think some people find it quite interesting, but for me, I find it really interesting. So, yeah. first, first of all, when you look back retrospectively at the knowledge which you have now attained as being an osteopath and being a, as you say, surfer practitioner?
1: Yeah.
0: Can you can you ascertain or can you can you uh, can you think about, or can you um, identify what your triggers might have been at that time to predispose you to suffering from fibromyalgia?
1: Absolutely. And that's why when I say my, I always kind of feel that I start telling my story with the fatigue, but actually that's the middle of the story. That's like, that's when the symptoms started. But when I then learn what I learned about the approach which is to look back at all those kind of major events that have happened in your life that may have triggered your nervous system. So sometimes they're smaller traumas sometimes they're bigger traumas but when you look back at them you suddenly get this whole um, picture you're like hang on a minute no wonder my nervous system is behaving in the way that it is and producing pain because I'd had a uh, I was at that point, I was a single parent. Um, I'd actually, my son, um, I ended up home educating him uh, because he really didn't get on well in school. Um, I'd been divorced, um, but it, and those, you know, I then had to, you know, suddenly start earning more money to support myself. So you just, then we, we had to move house a few times when we didn't want to. And, you know, there was, so there were all sorts of things kind of low, you know, kind of more recent in that recent few years of history. And then... When you go right back, actually, with what I know now is that actually I'm an I'm an adopted child. Now I've had a wonderful life. I've got a fantastic family, but my in my infancy, it was uncertain. And and we now know that those triggering events can go back as far as very very early 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 life.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a fantastic. But I don't know if you follow um, or if you read any books by Robert Sapolsky. Um, so so he wrote um, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, which is thrown around quite a lot at the BSO, the, the UCO, and as well as yeah. that book called Behave. And what he, he's, he's a biologist, I think, by training, but he looks at how biology influences our behaviour. One thing he, yeah. he suggested quite clearly, with which was supported by evidence, is that adverse childhood experiences change the way we perceive the world and our fight or flight response becomes a bit sharper. Um, our limbic system is more, not more dominant, but it has a more significant influence on say, um, our behavior and our thoughts than someone who grew up in a, say for the quote unquote, a more stable environment. And it's it's absolutely, it's, it's fascinating, but also shocking how so many of us are predisposed so early to the way that we perceive the world.
1: Well, funny enough, you shouldn't say that. um One of the people who spoke at the Serpa conference in two thousand seventeen was a lady called uh, Donna Jackson Nawazaka. She um, wrote a book called Childhood Disrupted, all about the Aces study and and the results of what had happened with Aces. And I'd never, so I'd been in practice twenty odd years at that point and never had heard of Aces. And it, it has that has definitely changed the way that we work. I mean, we now. We don't necessarily dig right into that with all our patients in their first appointment, but we have a little section now in the case history to sort of say, and is there anything that happened as far back as your childhood that was stressful? And it very open, often opens that door and the patients then will often say, oh actually yes, no, my I don't know, my parents divorced when I was four or my sister was very ill when I was young. And, and any of those things that you say that are changing and heightening the, the nervous system response, like you say, are predisposing. us not only to pain, but to other conditions as well. But as obviously my interest is in pain. And very often I find when I then explain that really quietly to patients that it, it's almost like a relief. They then kind of, kind of know why they react in the way that they react. Whereas, you know, Joe Bloggs doesn't, you know, somebody else something happens to and it's no big deal. But to them, it's like it's an enormous thing and it raises their anxiety and it, you know, raises their pain levels. And it, Understanding ACEs, I, I think is, is you know a really key part of, of the chronic pain work.
0: I think the, the metaphor um, or the saying know, know, know your enemy is maybe a little bit too simplistic here or, or ill-placed, but mm-hmm. still using that. Do you, th- do you think that by knowing your pain or knowing the origin or at least knowing the predispositions to your pain has a naturally uh, downregulating or desensitizing effect for those individuals who are in pain?
1: I think certainly for me, yes, and certainly for a number of people, yes. I think there is a small trouble with that sometimes that we can get stuck in the narrative of that. I can't be better because this happened to me, and and I'm and I'm stuck in that pattern. When and I think I did some of that in my own recovery. I'm like, well, this happened to me. I can't change it. Actually. If you can learn to recognise that and learn that with the neuroplasticity, we can change the way that our brains are functioning and reacting, then actually it is a huge—it's um, a huge benefit to be able to, to know and understand it.
0: It comes back to something that you said earlier. You mentioned you would when you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I think you said something that I'm going to get better, and the consultant said, "Well, you probably will." Then. Um, yeah. Did you, does that play much that a proactive approach or a, a proactive belief or a, a optimistic belief system
1: definitely definitely and I think um I think probably I think probably by then I was starting to kind of have an idea that there might be a different way to approach it which was possibly why I made that statement but it was also I think on the back of the He wasn't offering me anything. He was not, he said, I don't really want to give you drugs. They won't really work. He didn't offer me any sort of physical therapy, any psychological therapy, any sort of, it was kind of like, we've given you this label, bye. And I think that's so much the case for so many people, whether they, and a lot of them don't even get the label. In a way, for me, the fibromyalgia label was quite important at that time because it gave me like, I've got a thing. I've got a, I've got a thing that makes me like this rather than I'm just in pain tired anxious you know all the time so it was quite useful to have the label but i and i but i think there are definitely i think there are definitely a spectrum of people across the chronic pain world who um you know there are the more proactive there are still people who are really proactive who still can't always reach the bit that they need to unfold and i i have one patient who it's she's been doing this work for sort of several, you know, 15 years, I think she discovered it 15 years ago she's been working through it. She's there's still a glitch, you know, we still haven't kind of found the 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 glitch. So that's um uh, uh I mean I haven't been working with her all that time, but but it's that, and then there are some people who definitely, definitely just don't want, want to go there, and that maybe because their nervous system is so overwhelmed that actually they can't even think about changing something enormous because that's too frightening. It's almost too overstimulating to the nervous system again so I think there's you know I think you do have to be proactive there's definitely a benefit if you're positive as well you know yeah I have pain yeah it's really bad yeah it really annoys me but I'm going to kind of crack on there is definitely a a benefit to that.
0: Part of the the issue must be as well that by taking a a rational perspective of pain doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be able to quickly or initially effectively unpick the more deeper rooted, deeper psychological or uh, neuroanatomical connections uh, with pain and with our sensory systems.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think also interesting enough, I mean, I had an instance a couple of weeks ago where I got triggered by something and my my body just went straight back into the pattern it wasn't consciously I was feeling kind of cognitively I was feeling quite okay and able and quite you know I was it was almost like we were having a bit of a joke about the scenario but my body went right back in there and essentially as soon as your body has reacted into that anxiety pattern you know the chemicals have been released you know you're in it then and I think that it it is hard to you know catch yourself when it's caught you unaware sometimes you you know it's quite a lot of um, quite a lot of practice to, 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 to keep those patterns at bay.
0: That, that dichotomy must be very... Fru- I mean, I, I know from experience how frustrating it can be for uh, many of the chronic pain patients that I see and also um, in our mental health clinic, the um, patients that our counsellor will see where logically and rationally everything is okay. However, emotionally or sensory-wise, it's not okay at all. And um, I mean, do you have any ways or, or metaphors that you use to navigate your patients through that
1: experience? I think one of the biggest things, we we talk a lot of, about, about uh, lessening the fear and the danger. That's really important because, you know, the pain is essentially a danger signal. So it's about, we talk about pausing. So you pause, P is for pain, a is for acknowledging the pain you've got to you can't go I'm not in pain I'm going to ignore it you've got to acknowledge that the pain's there the u is understanding the pain what just happened you know not oh my god I must have lifted something but oh god I've just got a red bill or actually my boss is being really annoying or I'm so tired or whatever the understanding is of the pain then stop stop that kind of break that cycle so you don't go into the catastrophization of it and then exhale so that's one tool that we give patients is the pause to pause and the other thing, too, and that's, I suppose, possibly quite good for us as osteopaths is, is, is to somaticise, is to get back in the body and out of the head. So almost anything that you can do to um, activate your body. So um, we talk about havening a, a havening technique where you literally are rubbing the, the, the top of your arms, a bit like you would if you had a small child on your lap who was upset. You know, that's that natural thing to do. You can do that to yourself, essentially, to calm the nervous system down. Um, I'm a great advocate of um, Qigong, you know, getting people just that really gentle movement practice with the breath, that's a really great one. Um, We do an emotional awareness exercise where we get people to focus on the body and, 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 and describe the emotion that they feel that arises from there, that's something really useful, but it's about I think a lot of it is about getting out of the head and getting activating the body, walking, dancing, sing, whatever you can do to get yourself out of the pattern in the head and back into the body.
0: There's one interesting thing which you mentioned that I just wanted to explore. So you said that you don't want to run away from it or ignore it and that you, uh, in, in some ways, how you were describing uh, connecting to or advising that patient is to actually connect with the pain or connect with the area that's causing you pain. And I had a similar experience with a patient who was trying to use visualization techniques to essentially ignore the pain. And uh, what we did instead is actually going, uh, trying to locate the pain in her mind or locate the pain in her body and to focus on it and start to go towards and away, so towards and retreat. And she found that generally more desensitizing than what she was doing before but it was also it also is interesting because it highlights a, a study which i read on uh, tibetan monks so tibetan monks um or the I suppose the association of tibetan monks who pain the most um <clears throat> the, the most well-known example to a lot of people is the burning man so the, the tibetan monk who sat down um, in protest and set himself on or who was, was set on fire and um and didn't move from his meditative position. Now the research shows that the, the, the Tibetan monks will experience pain more vividly. However, they will ex, because they're focusing on it. However, they experience it as the observer, not as not as being in it. Um, so almost the equivalent of rather than being in a burning building, looking at a burning building on an HDTV or something like that. Um, why? So they and it's, it might be. a, a there might not be enough data out there to explain why but is there any idea or any theory as to why that is by going into it or observing it is more therapeutic than ignoring it
1: um i don't i don't i don't know. certainly um certainly with um the work that we do the the sort of um somatic experiencing of it in in that sense is um for the for us a lot of that is attaching the emotion to it and actually then it so rather than just the sensation it's about the emotion of it and I think that often is tied in with whatever the triggering event is or the actually priming event was which often can be much much earlier so the triggering event might be what happened now but the priming events earlier so certainly when we look at that we're looking to try and associate the emotion with the pain if that makes sense. Um I'm just trying to think if if I I, another technique that I do use with patients is I, I think sometimes when we feel all consumed by our pain we feel like we are in pain like you say we're in that pain and I describe a scenario where I say well hang on a minute if it you know maybe not all of you is in pain so is there part of you that can be the grown up, if that makes sense, because often pain and pain and experiencing pain is quite a childlike thing and quite, a you know, we feel kind of quite victim in that. and We feel quite oppressed. Whereas if you can find it sort of the part of you and I often a, a huge number of my patients are women and a huge number of them are, are parents. Um, and, and it's that thing of saying, you know, I know on that day where you don't really want to go and see your child's head teacher, but, you'd, you know, you pull your socks up and you get off and you go off and you go and deal with that situation because, you know, you have to, even though you don't feel you want to. So I sometimes get to people, I say, can you find that in yourself, that part of you to then encourage, support, um, nurture the bit of you that's in pain. So it's almost like you parent yourself. So it's a self-parenting, we teach people almost to sort of self-parent themselves with regards to their pain. So they're taking the stronger part of themselves to, um, you know, look after the, the, the part that needs needs the nurture and almost ask it what what do you need what's what's going on what's the problem what you know kind of have a conversation with yourself about it to see what it is that's that what it, what it is that's coming up
0: and just out of interest because a lot of people would feel that pain is more somatic and so more related to the body but when yeah. asking the pain or when asking yourself what do you need do you often have the patients express that what they need is something more emotional or something more to do with their home situation, or to do, right? That's the case, is it?
1: Very often, I think it's, so when we talk to people about pain, and and talking about that sort of somatic, whether it's a neural pathway pain, or whether it is an injury type thing, one of the big things is that, um, you know, pain that, and I'm sure you know this, but it's that pain that um, pain that moves, so it's not in one static place, pain that varies, Pain that's not always there. So it's there sometimes really badly, but then the next day it's not there. Pain often, interesting enough, that's decreased when there is a distraction. So when, you know, people are out, oh, I went out for the and I was absolutely fine, and then I was at home yesterday and the pain was really bad. Um, Pain that doesn't follow a a specific anatomical structure. So it's definitely not, like you say, specifically in the knee. Doesn't follow a neural, um, a nerve root, um, like a dermatome, or or distribution it doesn't follow that so or it's bilateral you know there's very little pain that should be bilateral if it's caused by tissue damage so that's one of the things that we explain to people and then as i say then when we've kind of ruled that out and they've started to not worry about that they've hurt this or done that or damaged this then it is very much about looking at that what what was the trigger what what is the other thing that's going on in 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 life at that time and it's fascinating what comes up absolutely fascinating you know um you can't always predict it i had a, I had a patient once who we'd ha- seen her a few times she'd got a little bit of a scoliotic pattern we'd been treating her for that she'd had pain for i can't remember exactly but it was maybe six or 12 months She'd had it for, for you know it was longer than that you know initial tissue injury um, it was over three months certainly and she came in and we treated her and 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 then it was just not quite getting better and so my colleague had asked me to come in and see her and we'd come in to see her and this is slightly shocking just to, to pre-warn people um, and we and i said listen i'm a little bit like a terrier i said i'm really sorry i'm going to ask you some slightly odd questions they might seem a bit off the wall always feel free not to answer them that's something that we always do i said to her you know what was going on when you had this pain well while well, i lifted this box i said oh, okay was there anything else going on at that time had you got to move house was there anything stressful was there anything going on in your relationship anything that particularly could have triggered it and she just said and this is the shocking bit, she said, I was out walking my dog one day, she said, and I found a man hanging in the woods. And literally, we we spoke about it, she had fantastic counselling, but had never put the two things, she'd never put that trauma of that event, the effect it had had on her nervous system and her pain in the same box, they'd never been associated. So we treated her that she, it relaxed as it had always done in the treatment, but we spoke about this and we spoke about the nervous system while we were treating her. And then she came back, I think one more time, and then the pain had gone, mm. but it is that, you know, it just that sometimes it, I say, I do, I am a bit like a terrier, I <laughs> go at it a little dig, 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 you know, and sometimes it's not, sometimes it does come back to a you know, a, a physical thing, but we're, one has to be careful of bias when, when I, you know, I'm like, I'm always looking for that little emotional nugget. And one has, sometimes it is, you know, sometimes there's a fallen arch and you've, you know, you have got to look at that. Uh, And I, we treat hands on all the time because you are feeling that with your, your hands, you're feeling the tissues, you're feeling the response in the tissues. And that's the beauty of this is when somebody then describes an event and you sit and think, nah, that's not making enough difference under my fingers. And then then this is not, I don't, this is my, you know, my, according to Pippa, not necessarily according to the rules or the red, you know, the studies or whatever. But the most amazing thing is when they then latch onto the thing that's important, the tissues change under your hands, you know, without you necessarily actively doing anything, with you just listening, with your palp- palpating with your fingers, there's just this change in the tissues when they get to the bit where that's important. I
0: love that there was, there was one thing which you, you which you mentioned you know trying to find that emotional nugget there's a there's a quote by Freud by Sigmund Freud and he said that when the conscious and he it's because he I think he comes from more of a he came from a medical background but he says he said that when the conscious mind shines light on the unconscious lesion that the unconscious can amend itself or it can it can essentially fix itself and one that's what I found very, very interesting that when I'm having these naturally cathartic, natural conversations, inquisitive conversations with my patients, and it tends to go down a more emotional route, just them understanding or just them highlighting the link can be all the th- everything that they need. And I'm getting ready to implement certain CBT techniques, techniques certain motivational interviewing techniques. And i don't end up not actually needing to use them at all because they're able to then figure it out themselves
1: it's magic that moment isn't it it's like that. it is absolutely magic and, the, and and there's you can i mean i have a box of tissues to hand all the time you know i make my patients cry on a regular basis um, but it's that it is that it is that moment and you can see the light come on behind their eyes and that realization of like oh my god and also i think one of the biggest things that that Oh, it's not actually my fault, you know it's they think it's suddenly that you know something happened to me. And that means that this isn't because i'm a bad person or because i'm not trying hard enough or striving or whatever which often comes with the pattern anyway, but it's that moment of like you say and, and often that's the it's like you've unlocked the door and then there's this massive change within the system, everything calms down, and then you can start, like you say, sometimes then it's that you can, then they can really start to teach their body how to change. And that's when we will give all the techniques that we have kind of in our toolkit, then they start to work. But until you almost have identified the bit that's locked it up, you know, it's difficult to, you know, sometimes difficult to proceed, but
0: And I can imagine that for for a lot of people, um, when they're trying to overcome chronic pain, including including yourselves and yourself, and when you've successfully done so, it can be, and this is from my experience with patients, is that sometimes they're under the misconception that if their pain returns, or if their pain is able to return, that they never actually truly conquered it in the first place, which is quite uh, a, a misconception right because trying to unwind these very deep a lot of the time very old neurological connections is like trying to remove the ingredients from a cooked cake it takes a lot of time it takes effort but also as well as that I think sometimes people misunderstand that it also takes maintenance and also takes having assets in your routine and your lifestyle that maintain your progress so what I was curious of is is what do you do to maintain your progress
1: so I um I funny enough I describe it to patients my sort of metaphor for that is it's like growing a seed and and the process of pain recovery is a bit like we start off and we make a bit of a mess we've got to get the weeds out the ground and we've got to scratch the ground out and then we plant a seed and then we water that seed and often that at that point it's really exciting and the plant comes up and it's all going if we forget to water that plant, it's going to, it's going to wilt again later on. So it's like that. Mm -hmm. It is about getting, we often talk to our patients about 15 minutes a day, just find 15 minutes a day for that activity that calms your nervous system. That might be a walk with a friend. It might be a cup of coffee sitting in the sunshine in the garden. It might be meditation. It might be journaling. It might be Tai Chi. So for my personally, um, Journaling, um, expressive writing has been a hugely important um, part of my recovery. I think the reason being is that often we get stuck in a narrative that goes round and round and round. And actually, when you write it, when you put it on paper, you get beyond the first level of the story that I'm telling myself. You get to the bit that's underneath that and you suddenly go, oh, my God, no, no wonder that's triggering me because it's related to something else. So journaling is certainly a first port of call for me. Um, I uh, I love walking, um, getting outside moving is really often, you know, if I'm really agitated or in, uncomfortable, actually I can. if I walk by the time about 20 minutes in, I usually start to feel quite a lot better. Um, the qigong tai chi, again, it really, that was what I started with when I, cu- I couldn't swim, I couldn't go to the gym, I couldn't do anything else, I was too uncomfortable, I actually couldn't even walk at that point um tai chi was really great that really gentle moving type meditation um meditation i do you know i do a lot of meditating not for extensive periods of time but you know 15 minutes here 15 minutes there and i'll pick one that suits what i need at that time do i need to reduce my anxiety do i need to calm my nervous system do i need to you know, be kind to myself, um, what, whatever it is. And I've, I suppose one of the biggest things I've learned to do in the process is listen, listen to myself, my body, what my body needs. I'm a, I'm a great striver, I'm a great pusher, I'm a great one, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'm to the next project and the next thing and the next thing and actually, you know, sometimes your body's just going, oh, excuse me, could you just stop for a bit, you know? So I think those, definitely, yeah, meditation, journaling, gentle movement um, are really, really great ones that, you
0: know, I, I do all the time, so. Amazing, Pippa, I've got to thank you so much for your time today, and I was wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to, to share with anyone who, who might listen to this podcast?
1: Um, I suppose, I just, uh, the reason I love talking about it in some respects is, well, two things, one, from an osteopathic perspective, I so want all the osteopaths to know about this extra bit, osteopaths are epic, osteopathic um, medicine. The osteopathic approach, I think, is just brilliant. I'm I'm like a stick of rock. I you know if you break me, I say osteopath the whole way through. I'm completely with osteopathy and I'm completely with that hands-on. But adding that psychologically informed, trauma informed knowledge has made such a difference to our practice um, and to our patients. And it is it's amazing. So that's why I talk about it. And I also talk about it from the patient's perspective, because I want people to have hope. There's so many people out there in chronic pain who've not ever heard of this kind of mind body work. And and essentially, they don't know and they think they've got this diagnosis and they're stuck with it for life. And that's just so sad. And so that's why I, you know, I just really like to kind of bring it to the world to to help other people. So
0: I have to echo exactly what you've said, Pippa, when it comes me for me as an osteopath. Um, after graduation, it was when I started to combine, I would say, evidence-based osteopathy, or looking at evidence-based osteopathy through a truly holistic lens. So actually understanding that the fact that we separate the bio, the psycho and the social is only really for our own understanding and our own ways to, to learn about the body, about the mind, because it's easier for us to compartmentalize it. But when we actually truly look at how these systems are formed seriously integrated with each other that there's very there's a very it's an impossible line to cut between the systems and making sure that the patient is guiding the journey rather than and the patient is the hero of the story rather than the practitioner being the hero of the story it was game-changing um, and yeah i'd 100 echo that the psychological component of what we do is massive and it's something that should be respected as much as as much as possible and integrated as much as possible
1: I think, interestingly enough, I think osteopaths actually do it pretty well, even if they don't know that they're doing it because we are so blessed to spend more time with our patients and get to know them. I do think osteopaths, and like our history coming from Andrew Taylor still, we are like old fashioned family doctors in some respects that we sit and listen to the patient's story. and Very often we perhaps know their grandparents or their aunts or their children. And I think think osteopathy hands-on works amazingly well but i think it's because the patient feels heard and when you then start to inform that hearing that what you're asked what you hear and therefore what you ask i think it's like it it it, it, it gets better exponentially it's amazing completely.
0: completely and this is within our principles as well right andrew taylor still said the the body is a unit of mind body and spirit and that we have our own capacity to to self-heal and um yeah no that goes beyond the anatomical 100% of the time. People and what I love,
1: it's I love is, I love that the evidence is now catching up with that too. You know, exactly. that's what's so amazing, so amazing.
0: Exactly, one hundred percent. Um, I've had such an enjoyable experience talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot, and um, yes. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is post a a link uh, to your website, and our people, I take it people can contact you via your website and via the details on your website. So, <clears throat> if anyone is in chronic pain and would like to visit Pippa, you know what to do. You need to go to is it osteo osteo osteopathy for all. Yeah. yeah?
1: uswforall.co.uk and we're in East Sussex
0: amazing thank you so much for your time people
1: it's a pleasure